You don't need to look far to find examples of highly successful people who have attributed their fame and success to their mentors. Mark Zuckerberg credits Steve Jobs as an important mentor in his life. Ray Charles mentored Quincy Jones. Maya Angelou played an important role in guiding Oprah Winfrey to success. And there's no question that mentoring relationships offer huge benefits to both the person receiving the mentoring, also known as a mentee or protege, and to the mentor. However, for every famous example of a successful mentoring relationship, there are countless others that didn't work out, ended poorly, or never took off in the first place. Today, we're going to be discussing mentorship in the context of organizations, when it works, why it works, and some potential alternatives to traditional mentorship. I'm Nicholas Bremner. I'm Jose Espinoza. And you're listening to Mind Your Work, a podcast about social science and work and what happens when you put these things together. So today on Mind Your Work, we're going to be talking about mentorship, specifically what it is, what people actually discuss in mentorship relationships, what kind of skills people learn, and what what kind of benefits they offer for mentors and mentees. Um, We're also going to be discussing some alternatives to traditional mentorship, like sponsorship and a concept called reverse mentoring. So to kick it off, let's uh, actually talk about what mentorship is. What does a mentorship relationship entail? So when we're talking about mentorship, usually we're referring to some sort of relationship between a less experienced, usually younger individual, the protege or the mentee, and an older or more experienced individual, the mentor. And the idea is that this relationship is going to lead to the development of that mentee. And that could mean in terms of their career or their skills. And it covers a pretty broad range of things. The idea is just this is a one-on-one relationship usually that could be formal or informal, leading to the development of the mentee. So most mentoring relationships and the advice that comes from them tend to fall under kind of two broad categories. The first of that is career advice. And this tends to be the kind of mentorship advice that you receive in terms of what you should be doing at work. How can you advance yourself? What skills can you be learning? How you might handle difficult situations as they come up. And those are the kinds of discussions that you tend to have about work specifically. Although that's not entirely everything that mentorship is about. The second broader category of uh, mentorship is called psychosocial support. This is kind of the more emotional aspect of mentorship. Typically when a mentor offers guidance and support to the mentee, when things get difficult, helping them cope with challenges and things like that. Since the mentor has often been through many of the experiences that the mentee is going through now, they can kind of coach them and help them deal with some of the emotional challenges that they might come up against. And something that we know from the research is that good mentors engage in both parts of that mentorship relationship. They give brass tacks advice about what you should be doing in your career, but they also help provide, like Nick was suggesting, those kinds of support behaviors, that advice that you need, and kind of just someone to talk to about the problems you might be facing at work. So good mentorship marries those two things rather than relying on one versus the other. Another distinction to be made is between formal and informal mentorship. In organizations, Formal mentorship programs often match mentors to protégés and assign them to one another. They set meeting cadence and length. They provide examples of things that mentors should teach or provide to their protégés, and they have a set overall duration. In contrast, informal mentoring relationships develop organically. Mentors and mentees find each other. They meet when they feel like it's right to meet. They discuss whatever they want to discuss. There's generally less structure in place here. 
One thing that we know is that informal mentorships also seem to be more effective for the most part than formal mentorships. And one of the reasons that might be happening is that when you engage in an informal mentoring relationship with someone, that tends to happen because there is a natural chemistry between the two people. In a formalized context, when you're assigned a mentor or you're assigned a mentee, there's not necessarily a guarantee that you are going to get along or immediately hit it off. So even though people are typically more satisfied with informal mentoring relationships, and they, and they can be quite successful because there's a strong chemistry between both parties, there are some kind of dangers there. So in particular, when the mentor chooses a, a mentee or protege, typically they're going to be um, drawn to someone who is similar to themselves. And if you want to you know, encourage representation, diverse representation in leadership in your organization, because one of the benefits of, of mentorship is that mentees tend to, to move up faster in organizations and they build stronger networks, formal mentorship programs can actually ensure that you have a diverse array of mentees and that everyone kind of gets a chance to be mentored by someone. And so even though the dynamic of the relationship may feel kind of forced at first, it does give everyone kind of a chance to, to get that, that knowledge and that, um, that mentoring. The other thing about informal mentoring programs is that oftentimes they're not actually programs. Informal mentorship can encompass a much broader array of, or range of relationships. This could go from a relationship that's, that's made up of meeting every single week with your mentor for coffee to just exchanging a few emails, you know, once or twice a year. So the success and benefits of an informal mentoring relationship can vary pretty widely. But they do have the common thread of there being a really high level of chemistry between both parties. So as Nick suggested, there is a really broad range as to what mentorship looks like in terms of from formal to informal and even kinds of topics that are discussed in terms of career advisors to psychosocial support. But one thing that we know is that mentoring does have benefits regardless of its forms for the mentees as well as for the mentors. In terms of benefits for mentees, we know that regardless of the mentoring relationship that they're involved in, they do experience quite a few benefits. And one of the primary ones is that they feel that they have greater social capital in the organization. And what that means is that they feel that they have a social network and a set of contacts that they can actually use to create value for themselves. And that might mean in terms of tackling projects and getting new opportunities, but also in advancing their careers. Another kind of general category of benefits that mentees or protégés experience from a mentoring relationship is that they just generally feel more supported through the entire process. So this is basically what they call perceived psychosocial support. This is generally just having your your need for affiliation met. Um, you you have someone who you can rely on, and you you feel more generally confident in your ability to actually handle the challenges of a work environment, um, handle the professional challenges that are being thrown at you. And you know that you have someone who you can lean on for support when times get difficult. Importantly, mentoring relationships also have benefits for the mentors themselves. Research suggests that mentors are actually more satisfied with their jobs and they're more committed to the organization. And you could clearly see how kind of engaging and supporting someone else in their career and helping them overcome challenges might help you become more satisfied with the role that you take on every day at work and might also contribute to you identifying with the organization and wanting to be there. Another thing that's interesting and perhaps a little harder to parse is that there's also research that suggests that mentors 
have greater career success and actually perform better on the job overall. Now, that's interesting because we're not sure whether that means that being a mentor means you perform better and you have greater success or whether that means that people who are already mentors actually are those that perform better on the job anyway. They tend to be high performers who are looking for ways to kind of share what they know and what they have learned. I think that's a a really good point. And I mean, it's very possible that if someone is already exceptional at what they do and they may have more free time, they may have a stronger network as well. um, They may seek out people to teach because they feel like they have a lot to offer. There's a lot. It's hard to go out of your way to seek a mentor if you don't feel confident in what you're doing in the first place. So I think that the causality is potentially suspect there. There is one kind of parallel that I think we can draw that might be interesting from the volunteering literature. And and actually, Adam Grant highlights this in his book, Give and Take. He gives an example of an individual who was struggling with her kind of day-to-day work life. She was like overworked, worked way too many hours, pretty much on the the brink of burnout or, or burnt out already. She started volunteering one day a week for, I think, like six to eight hours or something. So for a very, very long period. And by condensing her giving into this period and really helping others, it actually helped this individual handle the rest of her time at work. Her actual workload didn't go down, but she was able to handle it better because of the generosity she gave on the weekend to other people. So Adam Grant basically uses this as an anecdote to support research that he's done. I would take this kind of with a grain of salt, but it's possible that when you give to others, it does help put other things in perspective for you and helps you better handle your existing demands, even though you technically have less time overall. So it's fairly clear that for mentees, there's a direct relationship with the kinds of benefits that come from mentoring in terms of how that might contribute to your career success or to your feelings of competence at work. And for mentors, although we might not know exactly what the direction of the relationship is, it's also apparent that there are benefits for them in terms of engaging in a mentoring relationship. For organizations, that's something that we haven't covered yet, but having a mentorship program might also be really beneficial. And so while the IO psychology literature doesn't speak too much to the benefits that mentoring programs have for organizations specifically, since IO psychology typically focuses on individual level outcomes and what we call like micro level outcomes, there are some kind of principles that we can draw from the literature that would suggest that organizations would benefit from this specifically. So for instance, one of the main benefits of mentoring relationships for protégés is that they feel a sense of support from the organization a concept called perceived organizational support. This essentially is um, when the employee feels the organization really cares about them, has their back, and will will really be there for them. And so when employees feel this, they're basically more committed to the organization, uh, they're more likely to stick around for longer, and they're more satisfied at work as well. And so if you have a formal mentorship program in your organization, you can assume that you're going to get these positive outcomes for employees. You're going to have more committed employees. They'll stick around for longer. And this obviously benefits the company. Another thing is that if you have a formal mentorship program and employees know about it or candidates know about it, you could actually attract talent this as well. So when someone is comparing between organizations, you know, all else being equal and one organization offers Uh, opportunities for career development in the form of mentorship, this might be something that could get more talent in the door for the organization. So assuming that everyone's on board and you've decided to create a formal mentorship program in the organization, if you had to focus on one thing to get the most out of that program, that would be making sure that you match your mentees and your mentors on deep level similarity. And that means that they basically have similar attitudes, values, beliefs, and even personalities, rather than focusing on matching them on surface level similarity like gender or race, which seems to have very little relationship in terms of relationship quality. 
the thing that matters the most for a mentoring relationship. And this this distinction between deep versus surface level similarity is actually really important because um, as we were mentioning before, with informal mentoring relationships, people will tend to gravitate towards others who are similar to them on the surface. Uh, so what's basically called a similar to me bias. This bias comes into play when you have a hiring process that's completely unstructured and people might want to choose to hire someone who's who's more similar to them or also in mentoring relationships. And this is because people tend to gravitate towards others naturally, either consciously or unconsciously, uh, who are similar to them on a, on a very surface level in terms of like gender and, and race because they use those as a proxy for, you know, can I trust this person? Does this person have the same values as me? But in many cases, you can have someone who's very similar to you and, and you'll get along with very, very well and have a, a lot of natural chemistry with who is very different from you on the surface. And so if you actually take the time to match people on a deeper level in terms of personality and values, oftentimes education as well, you can get past those initial, let's say, demographic barriers and help people find more fulfilling professional relationships uh, through mentoring. All right, so as a final topic that we're going to cover today, we're going to discuss alternatives to mentorship programs. So up until now, we've been discussing a pretty traditional, you know, mentor-mentee relationship where you have an older, more experienced individual mentoring an oftentimes younger, less experienced individual. Um, but there are alternatives to this. And so there's, there's, there's a concept of sponsorship, which we can discuss a little bit. There's also the concept of reverse mentoring or mentorship, which is a, a relatively newer thing where essentially you have a younger individual who is mentoring an older individual, um, oftentimes in like things like technology or, or different skill sets that the older individual didn't acquire just due to when they, uh, the time period when they grew up. And we can kind of just discuss this and, and, and hash it up because there's a lot less research, particularly on, on reverse mentoring. There are a few papers that we found, but it's mostly theoretical and uh, there are obviously benefits to it. But yeah, so let's, let's kind of chat about that. Yeah, so like I think we should talk first about this reverse mentoring one. Let's go a little more deeply into that one. And I think that one, I, frankly, I didn't know anything about it until you mentioned it. But what's interesting is that I always think of mentoring and discussing this off mic before we we get started recording as that kind of Mr. Miyagi, uh, Daniel San <laughs> relationship, right? Someone much more experienced with a lot more uh, knowledge under their belt who's kind of willing to impart some of this down to someone else. So this idea of reverse mentoring is really interesting. Because I wonder if there is, uh, if there has to be a really strong willingness from the reverse mentee, usually who would be someone older with a lot more experience, to place themselves in kind of the learning role. So I, I don't know what you thought about that. Do you think there would be more difficulty there in terms of kind of inverting basically the power dynamic that would normally be present in a mentoring relationship? Yeah, I, I so this is an interesting thing you bring up because I think there would be a lot of uh, reluctance for an older individual to engage in this kind of relationship. And, th and this is actually another thing that makes it different from traditional mentoring is that with reverse mentoring, I think that the mentee actually has to initiate the relationship because this is the person mm. who is actually more experienced and technically in a, in a position of power in the organization. So I did a little bit of reading about this before we, we, we started recording. 
And there's an HBR article that was published uh, this month, actually, on on why reverse mentoring works. And we can add in the show notes. But um, it talks about how Jack Welch of GE is, is pretty famous for using reverse mentoring to teach senior executives <laughs> about the internet. And so <laughs> basically, <laughs> he, he paired his senior executives with younger talent to try and like upskill them on on technology and, and learn from the uh, the younger generation in this sense. But, you know, typically like in with with normal mentoring, the mentor finds the mentee or uh, the mentee asks the mentor for for guidance. So I guess when you when, you, when put that way, um, the mentee in this case in, in the reverse mentoring relationship does need to kind of go out of their way to ask for guidance. But I, I think that there is a much bigger barrier to this in the sense that typically someone who's more experienced and older may have a more difficult time being vulnerable and admitting they need to be taught by someone younger than them. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. I think it's interesting, like you said, that the mentee in this case almost for sure has to be the one that that starts the relationship if it is an informal one. I think the Jack Welch example is interesting because that suggests that someone even higher on the authority chain is kind of purposefully inverting this power structure, right? It's purposefully going in and saying, you're going to now be a mentee because you need to get kind of up to date on these skills that you might not have. And there's a recognition there from someone already higher up that kind of legitimizes that younger, less experienced mentor to say that they are an expert in this thing and and you're going to be able to learn a lot from them. So I think that's probably a really key thing if you were going to try and do this in an organization to say that you need to have someone higher up, even higher up the chain that kind of legitimizes the 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 exchange, right? The the switching positions. Because I think that's the main thing. You have to then put the, the mentor, the young mentor in a position where they feel that they can actually teach something and they're confident in that. And I think it really helps if it comes from someone higher up. Yeah, that's, that's, that's possible for sure. However, I would say that if the mentee themselves initiates it, I think it demonstrates um, a willingness to be vulnerable, which I think could help build trust. Um, one of the benefits they say of reverse mentoring is that it exposes vulnerabilities of older mentees and and builds trust with that. If the actual mentee is the person initiating that themselves, it is kind of like extending an olive branch and saying, "Hey, I don't know about this as much as you do. I'm willing to you know swallow my pride here and be humble and learn something from you." And I, I think that can go a long way in terms of building trust in a relationship. Yeah, for sure. I think I think that's a really interesting. Arrangement, and I hope that uh, in, in in terms of the research literature that we start looking into that in the future. I'm sure it's much less common than traditional mentoring, but it sounds like there could be a lot there to, to gain that could maybe even be transported back to traditional mentoring relationships, right? Yeah, and I, I think there there probably are benefits. I, I found one paper published, I think, back in 2012. I can also link in the show notes, but it's not it's not providing any data. It's it's literally just a theoretical paper that puts forth a bunch of propositions about the benefits of reverse mentoring. And it actually, uh, it brings up perceived organizational support as, as, a, as a benefit of it, which we discussed earlier as well. So as an, another alternative that we kind of want to touch on is this idea of sponsorship versus mentorship. And I think this is interesting because this suggests on like reverse mentoring that it's basically a version of mentorship. Sponsorship seems to be something entirely different, right? It's, it's not a kind of an advice-based relationship. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it has some element of that, but I think that the main purpose of sponsorship is to advocate for someone who is in a less advantageous position. Um, and, and this is, you know, normally to help women get into leadership positions and showcase their work and other underrepresented groups as well. And and really... Mm-hmm. So, so the idea here is basically you're 
someone with the social capital is kind of letting this other person borrow it, right? To legitimize them, to get people to actually pay attention to their ideas and their contributions. Exactly. Yeah. Um, specifically people who are, who are oftentimes overlooked or may have other barriers to like professional mobility and, and social mobility that other groups don't share. So it's to kind of help elevate them um, and make up for the disparity that exists in an organization. And, and this is something that managers should do in general for their employees, actually, in an organizational environment is this is actually one of the, the ways that effective management is, is measured is in the degree to which a manager will advocate or, or speak on behalf of his, his or her employees. But they don't do this equally across the board for everyone in reality, right? Good managers do, but you know, obviously bias is, is kind of inevitable in these in, in these things in many cases, unless someone actually works to to be objective and fair. But sponsorship is a way of of kind of formally building this in to make sure that people who are not being advocated for do get a, a chance to to be heard and to have their work seen and showcased. So from an organization's perspective, let's just maybe spitball some ideas is how you would kind of increase sponsorship in your organization. Do you think it would be one of those explicit encouragement to your managers to say, you should pick someone who, you know, who has ideas that not necessarily don't get a lot of attention or someone do you think could really contribute, but maybe he's not in a position to, you know, to really stand up in the middle of the meeting and, and kind of suggest something uh, that they otherwise wouldn't get any attention for. How would we do that? I think that's an interesting, how do you actually formalize this and try to put this in your organization as a thing that you encourage and you want people to do more? Honest answer is I I really don't know the best way of doing it. I haven't developed one myself before. I think it's a it's a very tricky thing because I th I think the key here is accurate identification of people who require sponsorship. I think oftentimes ah. people will use certain demographic characteristics as a proxy to indicate that someone needs sponsorship or not when maybe maybe they in fact don't. But I feel like if if you don't do this correctly and carefully, it has the the possibility of backfiring because whenever you you try and elevate one group, you are at the risk of doing it at the expense of another group. And, you know, if you if you look at the, the research like on, on intersectional intersectionality of, of identities, you know, you don't have just like males and females and then, you know, black and white. You have individuals who are, you know, made up of all these different demographic traits and they're very, very different, unique groups. And so you have to pay close attention to which groups you are helping and which groups you are overlooking as well. Um, and, and it's a pretty complex thing. Yeah. And I think we probably also have to allow space for opting out of things like sponsorship for people of, of, of basically underrepresented groups to say, personally, I don't necessarily need you to be someone who kind of walks into the door ahead of me and says, hey, everybody listen to this person. Um, I think that's probably something that could get really easily overlooked if we just say, we're going to really make sure we focus on sponsorship and you kind of give carte blanche to everybody in your management team to go out there and, and hey, pick out a person who you think has really good ideas, but maybe is not getting heard. That's great in theory, but maybe that person doesn't necessarily need you or, or want you to be like a spearhead for everything that they want to do in the organization, right? Another thing that you need to kind of watch out for is, is, is making sure that when you sponsor someone, that if you're advocating for their work, others are not thinking that they're being elevated undeservedly. Yeah, I think appearances matter in this case, right? You want to make sure that it, it doesn't appear to be that this person is just kind of getting a, a handicap. Like you said, they're getting an, an advantage that otherwise they don't really deserve just because they're part of an underrepresented group or, or there's some sort of favoritism at play. Exactly. Because if, if people don't believe in the legitimacy of it and the, and the legitimacy of this person's work, sponsorship won't be enough 
to sustain their upper mobility and, and trajectory and actually ensure they're, they're seeing success. You need like group acceptance of this person and uh, the decision to sponsor them and showcase their work. I think that makes sense. And, and I think we're probably coming down on the side of, sounds like a, a good way to do this would be to kind of marry both mentorship and sponsorship. Realize that there is some amount of, the best way that this could happen is, hey, I'm going to basically lend you some of my social capital, but that's because I believe that you are someone that has great ideas that is really going to contribute. And along the way, I can serve as additional support. I can provide basically emotional support in terms of you're facing these challenges, here are the things you might be able to do, and in terms of career advice, right? Uh, I think you're right. And I'm. And in, in reality, I don't think that there are very many cases where you strictly just have sponsorship. I'm sure there's you know, some component of mentorship in there as well. Helping this person package their ideas, share their thoughts, and, and you know, help them help them move up and also advocate them for them as well. Well, thank you for listening. I think that's all that we have for this topic today. We hope you enjoyed and learned a little bit about mentorship and what you might be able to do within your organization. And now this is not homework, but everyone has something to offer as a mentor, whether you really believe it or not. We encourage you to take some time to think about what kind of mentorship you could offer to others. Think about other domains beyond the work environment as well that you might have something to offer. Uh, think about hobbies that you might be passionate about um, or charitable causes. If you're focused in the work environment, you might start by taking a look at your resume. Think about all the skills you have, what you could offer others, and think about what you're passionate about outside of work as well and how you can share that passion with others too. And so oftentimes teaching someone something will help your passion for a particular subject grow and help you master it at an even higher level than before. And if you already had some experience with mentoring or being a mentee, make sure we hear from you. Send us an email at mindyourworkpodcast.gmail.com or send us a tweet at mindyourworkio. Our show notes and more episodes can be found at mindyourwork.io. And the last thing is we always forget to do this, but it really, really helps other people find the podcast if you give us a review on whatever app you listen to us on, whether that's on iTunes or whatever the new version of that is, or maybe it's on something like Stitcher. I'm Jose. I'm Nicholas. And we'll see you soon. Oh man, it's so cold. I don't even think I can snap my fingers. <laughs> Do you know when like your hands are cold and like your your skin feels like like taut? Yeah, taut. And yeah. I just feel pallid and frail right now. All right. <laughs> okay. Don't... I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> You're falling on. apart over there. Dude, I am. It's true. Okay, I'm I'm gonna put my hood on. Put my sleeves down. Go get some gloves. Yeah, get some gloves. Oh, I need some gloves. It's a good idea. All right.